Any fan of Kanye West knows just how great he is at sampling, taking an existing, often older song and flipping it into something completely new. But as we've discovered many times throughout this season, Kanye doesn't just use samples for aesthetic purposes. They almost always add contextual thematic depth to the song and help propel an album's narrative. On Yeeza so far, we heard this technique in the gospel sample of Onsite and the Hungarian sample at the end of New Slaves, just to name a few. Both of these gave us insight into the Yeezus character's psychological state and provided key narrative plot points and foreshadowing. But there's nothing more layered than what we hear on the album's seventh track, Blood on the Leaves, an unusual collage of songs both past and present. Most prominent is the historically potent song Strange Fruit, recorded by Nina Simone. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Then there's an interpolation of Jay-Z's 2001 track, Heart of the City. We also find a sample of the duo tonight's electronic song, Are You Ready? And finally, we get an interpolation of No Limit Records' See Murder. All of these songs are referenced or sampled directly on Blood on the Leaves. How could Kanye possibly weave these seemingly unrelated tracks together into a cohesive whole? And how could they possibly provide a backdrop to the six-minute song's epic saga of a relationship broken by the limelight of celebrity? Let's dissect and find out. From Spotify, I'm Cole Kushner, and this is Dissect, long-form musical analysis broken into short, digestible episodes. Today we continue our serialized examination of Kanye West's Yeezus with its seventh track, Blood on the Leaves. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Last time on Dissect, we unpacked the sixth track on Yeezus, I'm In It. It was there we found Yeezus detailing the complicated dynamics of his sexual encounter with a woman. I'm In It was a sort of sequel to the album's fifth song, Hold My Liquor. Whereas the album's first four songs find the Yeezus character critiquing society from his own personal bubble, Songs 5 and 6 find him intimately engaging in his problematic version of romance after his failed attempts at revolutionizing society. And as we heard, Yeezus found just as much difficulty fixing his personal life as he did fixing the world. 
Hold My Liquor ended in a tumultuous mess after his ex-girlfriend abandoned him. I'm In It began as an explicit sexual escapade, but ultimately ended with Yeezus calling the woman a starfucker and comparing himself to Michael Douglas reaching his breaking point. Both situations were Yeezus' attempts to rekindle the dying embers of his ego. In both the macro and micro realms, the Yeezus character is in shambles. This perfectly sets up the seventh stage of the hero's journey, the supreme ordeal. In each episode so far, we've framed the narrative of Yeezus using the framework of this classic storytelling formula. The supreme ordeal stage is marked by the hero going through a process of death and rebirth. It's essentially the confrontation with their greatest fear, weakness, or roadblock. For Yeezus, his supreme ordeal will be reconciling his failed love life with his failed ambitions of revolution. And this happens on the album's next track, the subject of our episode today, Blood on the Leaves. I just need to clear my mind now. It's been racing since the summertime. Now I'm holding down the summer now. And all I want is what I can't buy now. Blood on the Leaves was produced by Kanye West, Hudson Mohawk, Lunas, and Carlos Brody, with additional production by 88 Keys, Mike Dean, and Arca. The song infamously makes heavy use of samples taken from Nina Simone's 1965 rendition of the song Strange Fruit. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. For the Blood on the Leaves intro, this section of Strange Fruit is pitched up three semitones, which also speeds the track up slightly. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. For the song's verses, there's a few sections from Strange Fruit that are pieced together, starting with this phrase. Blood on the leaves. The second phrase used in the verse is heard a little later in Strange Fruit. These two phrases we just heard are then chopped and combined to make the verse section of Blood on the Leaves. Blood on the leaves. Breeps. Breeps. Blood on the leaves. Breeps. Breeps. Blood on the leaves. The last major sample from Strange Fruit comes from the same section the word breeze comes from in the verses, but this time the whole lyric is heard. Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze. These samples form the foundation for the entire six-minute track, a haunting and tragic soundscape rich with historical importance. As we covered in our episode on New Slaves, Strange Fruit is a song written by Abel Maripool in 1937, inspired by a horrific photograph of two African-American men hanging from a tree after being lynched in Indiana. The strange fruit in question is, as Maripool writes, black bodies swinging in the southern breeze. The 12-line poem turned song is full of similar haunting imagery. Quote, Here is fruit for the crows to pluck, for the rain to gather, for the wind to suck, for the sun to rot, for the trees to drop. Here is a strange and bitter crop. The song's stirring words are matched with an equally haunting musical setting. There's an eerie and entrancing stillness to the piece, with brooding funereal minor and diminished chords capturing the terror like horrified onlookers. Famed jazz singer Billie Holiday began performing the song live in 1939 and was responsible for bringing it to a national audience. 
she would close her sets with Strange Fruit at the Cafe Society in Greenwich Village, New York's first integrated nightclub. The waiters would stop all service in advance, and the room would be in darkness except for a spotlight on Holiday's face. During the musical introduction to the song, Holiday would stand with her eyes closed as if she were evoking a prayer. Then she would begin to sing. Southern trees bear a strange fruit Blood on the leaves and blood at the root When the song was over, the spotlight shining on Holiday would turn off, and when the lights came on again, she would be gone and there would be no encores. The song became personally significant for Holiday, as she said it reminded her of her father, who died at age 39 for being refused medical service because he was black. In 1939, Holiday approached her label Columbia Records about recording the song, but the company feared backlash by music retailers and radio networks in the South. Columbia instead gave Holiday a one-session release from her contract, and she recorded and distributed Strange Fruit through Vocal Line Records. The song, of course, did not sit well with everyone. Most notably, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics Commissioner Harry Anslinger forbade Holiday to perform the song. Anslinger was a known racist who believed that drugs caused black people to overstep their boundaries and that black jazz singers who smoked marijuana created the devil's music. After refusing to stop performing Strange Fruit, Anslinger devised a plan to destroy Holiday. Knowing that she was a drug user, he had some of his men frame her by selling her heroin. When she was caught using the drug, she was sent to prison for a year and a half, and when released, she was banned from performing in clubs and bars. But despite the controversy around the song, Strange Fruit would eventually sell a million copies, in time becoming Holiday's best-selling record. And in 1999, Time magazine named Strange Fruit the best song of the 20th century. The ugliness of it, that is about the ugliest song I have ever heard ugly in the sense that it is violent and tears at the guts of what white people have done to my people. This is Nina Simone talking about Strange Fruit in the 1960s. Raised during Jim Crow segregation, Simone's 1965 recording of the song recontextualized it at the height of the civil rights movement, a reminder of how Jim Crow was just another branch on the tree of American racism. And so obviously, Strange Fruit carries with it an incredible amount of history and context. It's about as potent as a song as you can get. When Blood on the Leaves was first released with Yeezus, there were some that criticized Kanye's use of Strange Fruit in a song seemingly about a romantic relationship gone sideways, with no outright acknowledgement of Strange Fruit's subject matter. And fair enough. Like many moments on Yeezus, we're not here to convince anyone out of their feelings, especially when we're dealing with subject matter that's as heavy and triggering as this. Rather, to the best of our ability, our job is to try and interpret what we believe the artist is attempting to communicate. We're going to proceed with Blood on the Leaves doing just that. Because while Kanye doesn't seem to acknowledge Strange Fruit's subject matter directly, it's preceded by a number of songs that do. Indeed, consistently and subtly, Yeezus as an album has explored the manifestations of black history in the present day. This collision of past and present began with Black Skinhead and Yeezus imagining himself as a modern-day Malcolm X. For my theme song, right. my leather black jeans on, right. my by any means on, part and I'm getting my scream on. Right. And then gained emphasis and force on new slaves with the mention of the sit-ins and segregation. 
Recall that it was in this track that the phrase blood on the leaves was first used multiple times. I throw these Maybach keys, I wear my heart on the sleeve. I know if we the new slaves, I see the blood on the leaves. I see the blood on the leaves. I see the blood on the leaves. I know that we the new slaves. I see the blood on the leaves. They throw it. New Slaves detailed the Yeezus character's attempt to confront the consumerism and materialism he feels enslaves 21st century Americans, an enslavement he feels as a kind of continuation of the physical enslavement suffered by African Americans. But now, as Kanye said on the track, everyone is playing, and the few wealthy white elites that own corporations are the new masters. The most glaring connection he ties to actual slavery is the prison industrial complex that seemingly utilizes the loophole of the 13th Amendment, which says that slavery is illegal except as a punishment for crime. It's these modern injustices that Jesus calls out, hoping to spark revolution against the powers that be. He refuses to, as others have, stay at ease. He sees the blood on the leaves, and someone has to do something about it. But as we've discussed throughout this season, Jesus fails to rally the troops, so to speak. There's a defeat signaled at the end of New Slaves, and since then, the album took a dramatic turn, focusing on his romantic and sexual encounters with women. It was in this run of songs that racial symbols and references were reduced to sexual euphemisms, as Jesus began to conflate his political ambitions with his sexual indulgence. I'm In It was a regression back to Jesus we first met on On Sight picking up women in a club and exchanging sex for material goods and his proximity to celebrity. Now as we move into Blood on the Leaves, Nina Simone's Strange Fruit becomes the backdrop for a love torn apart by money. As we'll see, Jesus seems to have now made a connection between his failed romantic relationships with the materialism and consumer culture he called out on new slaves. The leaves he sees now are dollar bills, and the blood is the love lost to our narrow focus on chasing wealth, sex, and fame over an everlasting love. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Blood on the leaves. I just need to clear my mind now. It's been racing since the summertime. Freeze. Now I'm holding down the summer now. Freeze. And all I want is what I can't buy now. The first thing we should notice in the song's opening moments is that Kanye is singing. The only other time we've heard Kanye sing on this album was at the end of New Slaves. It was there that a defeated Yeezus showed a rare moment of vulnerability, singing about getting too high, which signaled his descent beneath the somber lake detailed in the Hungarian sample. That stress and sense of defeat carries through here in Blood on the Leaves, obvious from its very first line. He sings, I just need to clear my mind now. There's a sudden desire for mental health, for clarity. Through this song, it appears Yeezus is attempting to find emotional catharsis. He then admits it's been racing since the summertime. While it's unclear how long it's been since this summer, the implication is that his mind and mental health have been plagued for a while. Summertime might also be a subtle reference to the aforementioned Billie Holiday and her hit recording of the song Summertime from 1936, three years before her rendition of Strange Fruit. Holiday here sings, summertime and living is easy, evoking the season of sun and happiness. Kanye's line is then a contrast to this presumption. While he's supposed to be happy and shining, he's anything but. He continues with the line, now I'm holding down the summer now. 
This seems to be an interpolation of Jay-Z's Heart of the City from the 2001 album The Blueprint. As we've heard throughout Yeezus, an interpolation is rarely just a surface-level reference to another track. And the same is true here with Heart of the City, as it's one of five tracks Kanye produced for The Blueprint, so it's safe to assume he's incredibly familiar with every aspect of the track. On it, Jay-Z ruminates on past black artists and relationships falling apart. He references the Fat Boys, the Fugees, Ike and Tina Turner all breaking up, with the implication being that fame and the public had a lot to do with it. Jay relates this to his own success, as he feels that some are jealous of his wealth and fame, and are impatiently waiting to celebrate his downfall. This leaves Jay puzzled, which leads him to ask, Jigga held you down six summers, damn, where's the love? In other words, he's given the public six years worth of great music, so where's the hate stemming from? This line leads into the song's hook, which Kanye sampled from Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City by Bobby Blue Bland. The first two lines from Bland's hook are what's used in Jay's song, Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City, Ain't No Love in the Heart of Town. This matches Jay's feelings that the public doesn't respect him the way they should, that instead of championing his success, as he's one of them, they are instead jealous, which leads to hostility and eventually breakup. But the full hook on Bland's song has two more lines, Ain't No Love and It Sure Is a Pity, Ain't No Love Cause You Ain't Around. This reveals that Bland was actually singing about a woman who left him, leaving him loveless. And this is where the brilliance of Kanye's interpolation comes in. As we'll see over the course of this episode, Blood on the Leaves will coalesce both Bland's lost love with Jay's resentment with the public and the downfall of celebrities. Kanye is going to show how these two ideas are related, and how the pursuit of fame and wealth tears love apart, using his own story as proof. Like Jay, Kanye is now holding down the summer, as he's in the midst of one of the greatest runs in music history. He's at the top of the game, rich and famous. But his next line reveals, all I want is what I can't buy now. This is our first clue that Yeezus is speaking about a woman, and what he can't buy seems to be playing off the cliches money can't buy love and money can't buy happiness. Despite his financial wealth, Yeezus still lacks the love that will bring him happiness, an idea that becomes clearer as the verse continues. And all I want is what I can't buy now Cause I ain't got the money on me right now And I told you to wait Yeah, I told you to wait So I'ma need a little more time now Cause I ain't got the money on me right now And I thought you could wait Yeah, I thought you could wait These bitches so The verse continues, and I told you to wait Yeah, I told you to wait as of right now, the you Yeezus is addressing is a mystery, but he makes a plea to this person for patience. He says, I'm going to need a little more time now, because I ain't got the money on me right now, and I thought you could wait. Unfortunately, that patience didn't last. It would seem that this other person has left Yeezus, or is upset with him because he lacks the money to afford certain things. Like we've heard many times on the album, there's an implication of a transaction taking place here, where the woman expects material goods or money in exchange for sex. While he vents about these star fuckers, he willingly gives in and helps to fuel this sick cycle. 
Jesus is just as accountable as the woman. And with that context, it shouldn't be too surprising when we hear the next lines in Blood on the Leaves. Jesus says, these bitches surrounding me all want something out of me. Then they talk about me, would be lost without me. It's become clear that the mysterious you of the song is one of the many anonymous starfuckers, women who hunt Jesus because he has wealth and fame. But there's no loyalty, no connection. That's why they'll talk or spread rumors about Jesus. It's why there's no love in the heart of the city. But at the same time, Jesus lets his ego slip through. These women may only be interested in his money, but as he frames the situation, the women would be lost without him. While there's a level of vulnerability to the verse, he can't help but mention the authority he possesses, or feels he possesses. This mix of sourness and smugness results in a whirlwind of emotions that will only continue to tornado throughout the song. We'll be lost without me. We could have been somebody. Thought you'd be different about it. Now I know you not it. So let's get on with it. Jesus here sings, we could have been somebody. Thought you'd be different about it. It's revealed that while the relationship seemed to begin like all the others, as a mutual exchange of sex and money, Jesus thought this particular relationship could have been different than the others. He believed there was real love between them. This recalls I'm in it when Jesus revealed that he was chasing love at the parties he attended, as well as Justin Vernon's sung line, Say you long for me. While the misogynistic, ego-driven side of Jesus always took the forefront, there were always hints of vulnerability, of this underlying search for love. Here on Blood on the Leaves, the ratio has flipped. While ego is still present, it's the vulnerable side of Jesus that dominates the track. Unfortunately, this impatient girl isn't the one, as he continues, Now I know you not it, so let's get on with it. Having gone through this scenario many times in the past, Jesus prepares himself for the drama that follows such an arrangement coming to an end. And just like the relationship, the song itself explodes. So let's get on with it. We could have been somebody. Said you had to tell somebody. Let's take it back to the first party. When you tried your first mile, it came out of your Here, Kanye and his team bring in an excerpt of a song called Are You Ready by Tonight, a duo formed by electronic artists Hudson Moak and Lunas. The track's driving staccato horns are used in an unexpected combination with the samples from Strange Fruit. But when we dissect the notes these horns play, we find some interesting connections between them and many other tracks on Yeezus. The main note that's played over and over by the horns is a D, but right at the very end of the phrase, we hear a single E flat. The interval between the main note D and that ending E flat is a minor second. As you'll recall from previous episodes, this is the most dissonant interval we have in music and is used prominently in On Sight, I Am A God, and New Slaves. Interestingly, the two notes we hear in the opening moments of New Slaves are the exact ones, D and E flat, that we hear in the horn riff of Blood on the Leaves. My mama was raised in the era when clean water was only served to the fairer skin. Doing clothes you would have thought I had help, but they wasn't satisfied unless I picked the cotton. 
Both New Slaves and Blood on the Leaves are in the key of D minor, and as we've already pointed out, the outro of New Slaves is the only other time we've heard Kanye sing with autotune. Add this to the fact that the phrase Blood on the Leaves was used multiple times in New Slaves, we're starting to realize that these two songs are inextricably bonded together, both thematically and sonically. Over the blaring horns, Kanye screams, We could have been somebody. Instead, you had to tell somebody. Instead of detailing the breakup, which we assume was an ugly one, Yeezus instead reels in the loss. He then reflects on how they met, which, surprise, surprise, was at a party. He sings, Let's take it back to the first party, when you tried your first molly, and came out of your body, running naked down the lobby, and you was screaming that you loved me. There's a simple indulgent purity here. In the throes of a drug high, this girl screamed how much she loved Yeezus. With her inhibitions gone, she expresses love. But there's a darker subtext, one in which the girl isn't shouting her love for Yeezus so much as the love the high she's obtained through Yeezus. The next lines capture this duality. Yeezus sings, Before the limelight tore ya, before the limelight stole ya. Historically, theaters used limelight to illuminate the stage, which is why the word has become associated with attention and celebrity. Anyone familiar with Kanye's discography knows that Kanye has always had a fascination with lights. It's a recurring image he's used to symbolize fame in many songs. And since Blood on the Leaves ultimately intertwines black history, failed love, and celebrity, it behooves us to take a quick sidebar to trace Kanye's use of lights over the years, as it will serve as foundational context to its use here on Blood on the Leaves. We'll do that right after the break. Welcome back to Dissect. Before the break, we heard Kanye mourn the loss of a love, and it was revealed that the limelight stole her away from him. As we mentioned, lights are a motif used throughout Kanye's discography, often acting as a metaphor for his relationship with celebrity at that point in his career. You can actually trace his fascination with the limelight all the way back to two words, one of the final tracks from his debut album, The Call is Dropout. Connie raps, one wall, 20 plaques, dues paid, gimme that, I am limelight. Those three words are nestled in a barrage of boastful comments where Kanye talks about his jewelry, his awards, and his money. At this point in the album, Kanye's ego is seemingly unbreakable, but just a few lines later, he introduces a complication. He starts by saying, so I live by two words, fuck you, pay me. But then he reveals a deeper layer to his psyche. Screaming, Jesus, save me. You know how the game be. I can't let him change me. Because on judgment day, you're going to blame me. As we discussed in the first episode this season, a college dropout is a three-act narrative, just like Yeezus. The first act finds Kanye in a low place, stuck in an oppressed state dictated by society. But inspiration from God and his idols pushes him to succeed as a musician. In act two, however, Kanye falls victim to the vices of the music industry. All of his thoughtfulness is replaced by a need for commercial appeal, to make the audience move rather than to move them. It's not till the third act that Kanye rediscovers his pure intentions, the original spirit that motivated him, and creates music that can make a difference in the world. You can hear that tension between temptation and altruism playing out in the lines from two words. The allure and attraction of the limelight causes Kanye's ego to take over sometimes, 
but living by God's word and helping others can overpower such conceitedness. By the end of the college dropout, Kanye feels empowered by the limelight, as it allows his voice to be heard. It would amplify his inspired and motivating message, but that wouldn't continue to be the case. The limelight would continuously grow brighter and more attractive for the young, impressionable Kanye, and he would repeatedly fall prey to its destructive power. In fact, Kanye would go on to release three songs between the college dropout and Yeezus with the word lights in the title. First, there's flashing lights from graduation. Flashing lights is repeated throughout the song, and Kanye opens his verse, she don't believe in shooting stars, but she believe in shoes and cars, again binding lights with materialism, status symbols, and pure aspirations being conflated with amassing wealth. The flashing lights also serve to symbolize the paparazzi, the constant scrutiny of living in the public eye. Everywhere Kanye turns, there are flashing lights, from camera flashes to the women in his life that just want shoes and cars. The motif of lights takes an even darker turn on the track Street Lights from 808's and Heartbreak. In 2008, Kanye's life was in shambles. He'd broken up with his longtime fiancé of 18 months. His life was the incessant focus of the media. And worst of all, his mother, Donda West, had passed away. Donda was Kanye's guiding light for most of his career. Whenever he got out of line, she was there to shake sense into him and provide wisdom. She was his lighthouse in the storm of fame. Now he was adrift. On 808s, he openly describes himself as a lost, meandering soul apathetically carrying out his role as a superstar musician, yearning for the motherly and romantic loves that had vanished from his life. And it reaches a solemn moment on Streetlights, as Kanye sings, Seems like streetlights, glowing, happen to be just like moments passing in front of me. Where the lights were once overbearing in graduation, now they hang overhead as he drives down the street. The limelight once empowered him, was everything he wanted, but now the light is repetitious and dull, flitting by, Solemn reminders of how detached he's become from his art, his career, his family, friends, and heart. Finally, the motif of lights reaches its overbearing peak with the track All of the Lights from My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. The paparazzi on flashing lights seem like a mere annoyance in comparison to what we get here. At this point in his career, Kanye had completely alienated himself. He was crucified by the public for his stunt at the VMAs. He was a constant subject for online headlines, rarely in a flattering way. All eyes were on Kanye West, and those eyes threw a menacing glare. The kid that was once praised as the new face of hip-hop was suddenly the world's biggest villain. So it's no longer the paparazzi lights alone that concerned Kanye. It was the cop lights, the flashlights, the spotlights, the strobe lights, the street lights that were all a part of his fast life, his drug life, his thug life, and his rock life that rendered his existence so chaotic and overwhelming. The lights, a metaphor for the chaos of celebrity, had ripped Kanye's life apart. So when we look back at his discography, we can follow the motif of lights to track Kanye's relationship with fame and celebrity life. At first, the limelight was the shine Kanye knew he needed to have to have a voice in this world. But slowly, the lights washed out his personal life and blinded his vision. And it has done and will do the same to others. And this is what makes the line, Before the limelight stole ya, so heartbreaking and potent on Blood on the Leaves. 
The implication is that the siren call of attention and materialism, of indulgence in the finer things, tore this former love interest from Yeezus. It stole her. Whatever love she had for Yeezus became the love for the lifestyle he provided. This is why the next lines are, Remember we were so young when I would hold you before the blood on the leaves. Immediately following Kanye's line, When I Would Hold You, we hear Nina Simone return singing, Black Bodies Swinging in the Summer Breeze. The previous encounter with this line from Simone was underneath Kanye saying, All Want Something Out of Me. These placements would seem to confirm Kanye's artistic intent to make another modernization of the historic. In the same way materialism makes new slaves, the pursuit of celebrity and wealth finds men chasing money to attract women, and women using sex as a means to attract men with money. Lost in this exchange is love. Both men and women are reduced to a means to an end. The leaves are now dollar bills, and the blood is the love lost and lives ripped apart in pursuit of money and fame. Before they call lawyers, before you try to destroy us, how you gonna lie to the lawyer? It's like I don't even know you. I gotta bring it back to the lawyer. Jesus continues, before they call lawyers, before you try to destroy us, how could you lie to the lawyer? It's like I don't even know ya. Here again, Jesus is attempting to recall better days before this relationship turned ugly, when lies were told to lawyers as a ploy to extract more money from him. This causes him to feel betrayed, which is why he says it's like he doesn't even know her. The truth is, he doesn't. And his use of they implies this happened with more than one woman which recalls the previous lines, these bitches surrounded me, all want something out of me, then they talk about me. It's safe to assume whatever happened with this particular woman in the song is a recurring cycle he finds himself trapped in, giving additional context to all the failed relationships that have been alluded to throughout the album to this point. Finally, Yeezus concludes, I gotta bring it back to the Nolia. This line has a few layers, the first of which relates to the song Strange Fruit. In this section of the song, Simone sings, Pastoral scene of the gallant south, Then big bulging eyes and the twisted mouth, Scent of magnolia, clean and fresh, Then the sudden smell of burning flesh. This section juxtaposes the natural beauty of the magnolia tree with the horror of the lynching that's occurring on it. This is similar to the way Kanye had just juxtaposed the beauty of his former romance, before the blood on the leaves, with the horror of what romance has become for him in the limelight's unceasing flare. He feels he is, so to speak, a strange fruit, strung up by these women who use him. This was foreshadowed at the end of the second verse when Jesus said, something strange is happening. It's at this point Jesus' tone changes. The vulnerability he had shown up to this point is replaced by a surge of ego. Fuck 
Kanye's words here are an interpolation of the 1999 Snoop Dogg song, Down For My N-Words. The portion Kanye imitates is the chorus, rapped by C. Murder. As we listen, pay attention to the horns blaring in the background. As you just heard, the horns on this track resemble the horns of Blood on the Leaves, which is one obvious reason why Kanye interpolates this song. But knowing Kanye, there's likely a deeper meaning to the reference. C. Murder, whose real name is Corey Miller, was part of the legendary music label No Limit Records. No Limit was founded by Miller's brother Percy, otherwise known as Master P. The Miller brothers were born in New Orleans, Louisiana. While No Limit was initially formed in California, Master P eventually relocated the label to New Orleans and helped develop local talent to a national level. A crucial part of the New Orleans rap culture was the Magnolia Projects. Rappers from the Magnolia Projects include Juvenile, Soldier Slim, and Jay Electronica. The brothers Brian and Ronald Williams, aka Birdman and Slim, also grew up in the Magnolia Projects. They'd go on to co-found Cash Money Records, the label responsible for Juvenile, Lil Wayne, Nicki Minaj, and Drake. And so when Yeezus says, I gotta bring it back to the Nolia, he's not just referring to Strange Fruit. He's also referring to the confidence, aggression, and loyalty of the New Orleans hip-hop scene, and specifically to Magnolia Projects. After making himself vulnerable only to be betrayed and hurt, he recoils and once again puts on his mask of bravado and machismo. There's a sense that he's abandoning the idea of love altogether, retreating back to a player's mentality more common in stereotypical rap. He says he's ready to ride, which is a street euphemism for heading out to attack someone. This mentality echoes the assassin feature from I'm In It, when Assassin said, when we roll around your block, don't bother thinking that we won't spray. Yeezus is trying to find that same cutthroat attitude, which is why the fourth and final verse of Blood on the Leaves has an edge that's reminiscent of On Sight, Black Skinhead, and New Slaves. In this part of the song, Yeezus returns to being more of a narrator, commenting on larger societal dynamics similar to what he did on New Slaves. He also dramatically changes his delivery from singing to rap, channeling the spirit of the Nolia. All my second string bitches Try and get a baby Try and get a baby Now you talking crazy I don't give a damn If you used to talk to Jay-Z in with you And Beyonce need to stop acting lazy She Instagram herself The verse begins To all my second string bitches Trying to get a baby Now you talking crazy Second string is a sports term That refers to the bench players As opposed to the starters Who are first string This is a euphemistic way Of referring to side chicks Or the women who men cheat with it's these women who he says wants to get a baby because as Kanye rapped back in 2005 on the song Gold Digger, the baby ensures that the woman is paid for 18 years. The man will give her money to be quiet and or have to pay child support. Turns out this is an actual concern for many celebrities and famous athletes. In 2004, the Washington Post wrote a story with the headline, Pre-Sexual Consent Forms for Wary Athletes. Quote, Celebrities, athletes, and high-powered business executives who want protection from potential rape or other sexual charges can now obtain consent forms for their would-be partner to sign, acknowledging the pair is about to engage in consensual sex, unquote. Celebrities have also been known to make their one-night stands sign non-disclosure agreements that prohibit them from ever speaking on the encounter. Bringing paperwork into a sexual relationship only magnifies the transactional nature of these kinds of encounters we've discussed throughout the season. Jesus continues, I don't give a damn if you used to talk to Jay-Z. He ain't with you, he with Beyonce, you need to stop acting lazy. 
he dismisses this woman attempting to latch on to Jay-Z's fame for her own social validation. Plus, Jay-Z and Beyonce have been together since 2001. That's why he says she needs to stop acting lazy. It's been 12 years, and she's still clinging on to Jay. This then serves as a transition to an allegorical story of a more successful gold digger. Kanye raps, she Instagram herself like bad bitch alert. He Instagram his watch like mad rich alert. He only want to see that ass in reverse. $2,000 bag with no cash in your purse. These lines portray the dynamic between a generic hot girl and a generic wealthy man. They present themselves on Instagram in the way they want others to perceive them, each of them fishing for the attention of the other. Ass in reverse refers to the sex position reverse cowgirl, in which the girl faces away from the man. Sex is an act that can be either intensely intimate or selfishly cold. Two people making love might stare into each other's eyes, while someone interested only with their own pleasure may not want eye contact at all. They only want to see that ass in reverse. The image shows the lack of connection in this arrangement between the bad bitch and Mr. Rich. The woman's $2,000 bag reveals the transactional nature of their arrangement. It's her payment for the lack of intimacy. This dynamic is something we've talked about a lot this season, but it reaches a pinnacle of articulation here on Blood on the Leaves, as Jesus describes the dynamic plainly and clearly. He also brings social media into the conversation, something that in 2013 was present, but has only grown exponentially in size and influence today. Now, instead of just a club or party with a few hundred people, men and women have the opportunity to curate, develop, and broadcast their crafted personas to millions every day increasing their odds at attracting a bad bitch or Mr. Rich. Jesus continues to elaborate on bad bitch and Mr. Rich. He raps, Now you sit in courtside, wifey on the other side. Gotta keep him separated, I call that apartheid. Sitting courtside often refers to a basketball game, and here the man has both his wife and his side girl at the same game, but on opposite sides of the court. However, given the upcoming talk about alimony and child support, this could also refer to a courtroom as well, as the two parties, the defendant and plaintiff, sit on opposite sides of the court. We also have another modernization here, as apartheid refers to a former segregation law in South Africa and present-day Namibia. Kanye could be using apartheid simply for the reference to division, but he may want to bring in the racial divide as well, implying one woman is white and the other black. With the line, gotta keep him separated, Kanye may also be interpolating lyrics from The Offspring's 1994 hit song, Come Out and Play. The song Come Out and Play was inspired by the 1979 movie The Warriors, which tells the story of a dystopian future involving violent street gangs. The Offspring used the movie as a mechanism by which to address the very real teenage violence of the 80s and early 90s. Arguably, the most important lines of the song are, it goes down the same as thousands before. No one's getting smarter, no one's learning the score. Your never-ending spree of death and violence and hate is going to tie your own rope, tie your own rope. This idea of tying your own rope is thematically in line with the strange fruit sample, and Kanye's belief that our quest for wealth, fame, and material goods enslaves us all. 
Mr. Rich and Bad Bitch exemplify this mentality, and as Blood on the Leaves continues, we witness the dark conclusion of their story. Kanye raps, then she said she pregnated, that's the night your heart died. In this scenario, the second string woman has successfully gotten herself a baby, and Kanye likens Mr. Rich's reaction to this to having a heart attack, as he knows this will affect what he cares about most, his wallet and nightlife antics. The verse continues, then you gotta go tell your girl and report that. This seems to mean that Mr. Rich must tell his main girl about the child, leaving that relationship in shambles, as well as report the child legally. This leads to Kanye saying, main reason cause your pastors say you can't abort that. Now your drivers say that new Benz, you can't afford that. All that cocaine on the table, you can't snort that. The financial news tightens around Mr. Rich. Not only will he have court costs and child support, he'll also have alimony payments. The lifestyle of indulgence he once knew is now over. The verse then continues with the summarizing lines, Yeah, she got you, homie, till death, but do your part. Unholy matrimony. First, Yeezus comments on the bad bitch's success. By getting pregnant, she has trapped Mr. Rich. That $2,000 bag that had been empty of cash is soon to be overflowing. In the verse's penultimate line, Yeezus plays on the traditional wedding vow that ends with, until death do us part. He replaces that sentiment of undying love with, till death, but do your part. This makes clear that Mr. Rich, or any man caught by a gold digger, has essentially vowed to the lifetime of responsibility of being a father and funding the bad bitch's lifestyle. The unholy matrimony refers to the union created by having a baby out of wedlock with someone you don't love who is using you for financial gain. The real victim here is the child, born to broken parents who have valued money and sex over love, who is brought into this world as a meal ticket, and who might be inclined to repeat the cycle when he or she grows older, having been raised by a mother and father who embody these principles. After the verse's final and dramatic declaration, we hear Nina Simone return with the line, black body swinging in the summer breeze. It's with this idea of financial, emotional, and spiritual lynching in mind that we head into the song's extended outro. Unholy matrimony. Black bodies swinging in the summer Kanye returns to singing here in the outro, so we should expect a return to vulnerability as well. He sings, That summer night holding long and long. The mention of summer confirms an association for Yeezus between this season and this meaningful relationship. It also brings us full circle from the track's opening lines, explaining why his mind has been racing since the summertime. Summer is too much of a reminder of what he had and lost. Kanye 
Connie continues with an improvised vocal passage centered on the word breathe. But before he goes into this, he sings, Now waiting for the summer rose and breathe. The summer rose is a phrase made famous by the English poet Thomas More in his piece, The Last Rose of Summer. Unsurprisingly, the poem's contents is all applicable to Jesus' current situation. It begins, quote, "'Tis the last rose of summer, left blooming alone. All her lovely companions are faded and gone. No flower of her kindred, no rosebud is nigh, to reflect back her blushes or give sigh for sigh." Here, Moore describes the last surviving rose of summer, who is now without companionship of any kind. He goes on to describe killing this lonely rose because he can't imagine it would want to continue to exist in the world alone. He does so as a courtesy, hoping his own death would soon follow the loss of his true love and friends. The poem ends with the lines, When true hearts lie withered, and fond ones are flown, oh, who would inhabit this bleak world alone? In Moore's vision of the world, companionship is all that matters. Not how wealthy you are, how famous, what you drive, the watch you wear. It's love or death. So in the outro of Blood on the Leaves, after all the turmoil and self-reflection, we see Jesus pining for his own summer rose. He doesn't want to live in this world alone, leading to the most emotional and vulnerable passage of the entire album. Here we witness Jesus finally achieving the cathartic release we've suspected he's been looking for the entire album. Whereas the second explosive verse of New Slaves was the pinnacle of the aggressive and egotistical side of Jesus, this section is the pinnacle of the emotional and vulnerable side. And while most of the emotion seems to be released through the physical act of his impassioned singing, the few words he does say seem important. He tells himself to breathe over and over, reminding himself to live and learn. Then he follows this with an array of half-finished thoughts, living like I'm lonely, lonely, and living all I have, and living, and live, and live. If Jesus thought himself to be a strange fruit, strung up and suffocated by women using him for his proximity to the limelight, then these words seem to be a breakthrough moment, a choice to continue to live and learn despite being lonely and broken by the destructive cycle of failed relationships he continually finds himself in. We now realize that one reason why he so adamantly condemned materialism on new slaves is because it's made romance for him seemingly impossible. He cannot separate himself from the limelight, and so he perpetually attracts women like the bad bitch, looking to extract money, social currency, and material things from him. Likewise, Jesus has seemed incapable of ceasing to take advantage of his celebrity and wealth to have sex with these women, just like Mr. Rich. These are the dynamics created by the limelight. Anybody caught in its emerald brilliance will succumb to the attention and materialism, whether that's Yeezus or Jay-Z, Bad Bitch or Mr. Rich, or you or me. The offspring described a world where no one got smarter, no one learned. The cycle was unbreakable. But this is Yeezus' cathartic breakthrough. He can breathe. Through respiration, he lives. And by living, he learns. He can accept that he's lonely, that it's time to let go of the past 
step out of the limelight and journey down from the mountaintop and return to the world of the living, where roses still bloom. Conclusions In season six of this podcast, we dissected the visual album Lemonade by Beyonce. In it, Beyonce details the aftermath of her husband Jay-Z's infidelity, which triggers the personal, emotional, and spiritual journey that's documented on the album. Beyonce comes to find a connection between the infidelity in her marriage and the infidelity in her parents' marriage. Realizing this generational connection, she eventually understands that these conflicts can be connected all the way back to slavery and implies that the psychological effects of the generational oppression of black people has complicated interpersonal relationships in the black community. The visual album's director and longtime Beyonce collaborator, Melina Matsukas said, quote, Beyonce wanted to show the historical impact of slavery on black love and what it has done to the black family and black men and women, how they're almost socialized not to be together, unquote. Lemonade is filmed at various plantations in Louisiana where Beyonce's ancestors were once enslaved. These slave plantations serve as a contextual backdrop to her story as she attempts to reconcile the past effects on her present day. Beyonce ultimately concludes that what led her husband to cheat was not her own shortcomings as a wife or woman, rather it was her husband's own insecurity and feelings that he's undeserving of love. Why do you deny yourself, heaven? Why do you consider yourself undeserving? Why are you afraid of love? You think it's not possible for someone like you. It's implied that this underlying feeling of unworthiness is what motivated Jay and her father to cheat, to find validation in their womanizing in the same way Mr. Rich is positioned on Blood on the Leaves. It's fitting then that Jay and Beyonce get referenced in Blood on the Leaves some three years before their marital conflict became public. Because Kanye's use of strange fruit as a potent backdrop to a saga of a love lost to the limelight, and then to the allegorical story of Bad Bitch and Mr. Rich, is not unlike Beyonce's use of plantations as a backdrop to the infidelity in her marriage. Both find a connection between modern relationship dynamics in the black community and the historical horrors of racism in America. The unworthy or lesser-than attitude towards African Americans is unfortunately a central tenet ingrained in American culture since its inception, and both Beyoncé and Kanye seem to argue that the psychological effects of such widespread cultural racism and bigotry are unavoidable. Thus, just as racism is a constant backdrop for day-to-day life in America as a person of color, so too are the slave plantations and lemonade and strange fruit here on Blood on the Leaves. For his part, Kanye builds on his observations laid out in New Slaves, which is very much a sister song to Blood on the Leaves, showing how modern men and women harm one another in pursuit of materialism and indulgence, and how the purity of love is destroyed by this dynamic. As he surveys his own life and the lives around him, Yeezus seems to be asking the same question Jay-Z did back on Heart of the City, where's the love? The heightened symbolism provided by Strange Fruit conveys just how serious and damaging this dynamic is on a societal level. And on the personal, it also shows the severity of the heartbreak Yeezus felt when he lost the one woman he loved. Indeed, in terms of the album's narrative, Blood on the Leaves reveals that Yeezus being abandoned by a woman who fell prey to the limelight is what so damaged our would-be hero. Not unlike Jay-Z, Yeezus buried his pain beneath a mask of seemingly endless and invincible ego, a decision that would have catastrophic ramifications 
crippling his personality and his ability to interact with the world. This is a dark road filled with people that cling to Jesus in order to bask in the limelight that follows him everywhere. Together, they all fall prey to the vices of celebrity. At the seventh step of the hero's journey, Jesus is facing his supreme ordeal, a stage that presents, quote, a deep inner crisis that the hero must face in order to survive. After being forced to confront his past and his darkest demons, where will Jesus go after this cathartic emotional experience? Will it be enough to overcome his demons? Or will he once again fall victim to the alluring promise of the limelight? I need to call it on. I need to, I need to make it We'll see which way Jesus will go in the album's next song, Guilt Trip. A track we'll dissect note by note, line by line, next time on Dissect. Today's episode was written by Travis Bean, Chris Lambert, and me. If you enjoyed today's episode, please tell a friend about the show or share on social media. It really helps. Theme music for the show was composed by Bureaucratic. Audio editing by Eric Bass and me. Song recreations by Andrew Atwood. Be sure to follow us on social media at Dissect Podcast. And check out our limited Season 8 merchandise on our website, dissectpodcast.com. If you want even more episodes on Kanye, listen to Season 2 of this podcast a 16-episode analysis of my beautiful dark-twisted fantasy. Okay, thanks everyone. Talk to you next time. Bye.